Please be seated and listen, for this is the Word of God. Called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to this disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him. Distress and anguish came over him. The sorrow in my heart is so great, it almost crushes me. Stay here and keep watch. He went a little farther on, threw himself on the ground, and prayed that, if possible, he might not have to go through that time of suffering. Father, my Father, all things are possible with you. Take this cup of suffering away from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. Then he returned and found the three disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Weren't you able to stay awake even for one hour? And he said to them, Keep watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away once more and prayed, saying the same words. Then he came back to the disciples and found them asleep. They could not keep their eyes open, and they did not know what to say to him. When he came back the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is now being handed over to the power of sinful men. Get up, let us go. Look, here is the man who is betraying me. Jesus was still speaking when Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs and sent by the chief priests the teachers of the law, and the elders. The traitor had given the crowd a signal. The man I kiss is the one you want. Arrest him and take him away under guard. As soon as Judas arrived, he went up to Jesus. Teacher. And kissed him. So they arrested Jesus and held him tight. But one of those standing there drew his sword and struck at the high priest's slave, cutting off his ear. Then Jesus spoke up. Did you have to come with swords and clubs to capture me as though I were an outlaw? Day after day I was with you teaching in the temple, and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must come true. Amen. And let us pray. Gracious Father, as we gather around your word, we ask that we might hear you speaking to us. Speak, for we are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> there, are, there are some moments in life that are, that are just so intimate that you, you don't want to eavesdrop on them, let alone intrude upon those moments. We've all, every one of us, I think, experienced such moments. Some are absolutely wonderful and joyous. The first time you hold your your newborn child in your arms, you want to share that joy with others? Of course you do. But for that first moment, that first instant, you also want it to be just you and your beautiful new baby 
just for that moment. A bride and groom in the sanctuary, holding hands, facing one another as they, as they share their vows, is another such moment of, of intimacy. There are, yes, lots and lots of people gathered around, but in that moment, in that one moment, it's only them. And, and even in the midst of celebration, there's, there's a sense in which the gathered congregation is intruding on a very intimate moment, moments of wonder and joy. But then on the flip side, there are also moments of intimacy that are, are devastating and crushing. You may have received some terrible news. A child has been killed. A spouse has died. The news is, is too much for you to bear. You have to be alone. And in those initial moments, you want to be alone. You want no one intruding upon your grief. That moment of intimacy. The Gethsemane passage that we just heard read from Mark's gospel has that very same feel to it. Here, Jesus is alone. He's weighed down with grief and with sorrow, and it's, it's almost with a sense of invading His privacy, His intimate moment that we, that we read this passage. This, this whole week that we've traveled through, Jesus has been preparing not just for, for intimacy, but He's been preparing to be absolutely alone. He's left the crowds behind. He's gathered at the table with His disciples. He's gathered those closest to Him. But in Gethsemane itself, He is completely and utterly alone. It's an intimate moment of grief into which we have the, the privilege of catching a glimpse. As we read these words, it's almost like we, we might want to look away, but we can't. We can't look away because Mark won't let us. His language captivates us and forces us to look almost shamefully upon this intense moment because we know the cause of His suffering. We know that we are responsible. And we must not turn away. The first thing that ought to strike us as we read these words is how Mark introduces us to this location. We're used to thinking of Gethsemane as, as, as a garden. And the image that we tend to have of gardens is, is, is of beautiful flowers, lovely areas of shade under trees, places of solitude to be, to be enjoyed. Well, John's the only one of the, of the gospel writers who, who talks of Gethsemane as, as a garden. Mark is, as we've learned, as we've studied Mark this year, Mark is very, very stark. He doesn't talk about a garden. He simply says this, they went to a place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane is, a, is an Aramaic word, and it means olive press. So, literally, 
they came to a place called Olive Press, a place where the precious oil was crushed out of olives, oil for seasoning, oil for, for lighting, for cooking, for preserving. I wonder if you'd permit me to say that Gethsemane was the crushing place. Now, October, November, apparently, is, is, is olive season. So, in April, this place is lying empty. The presses would be stained dark with the juice of old, the old olive harvest. If there were any olive trees, which there probably were this was in the Mount of Olives, they would be bare with no leaves yet, let alone any fruit. It was a dark and it was a dismal place, this place called Olive Press, Gethsemane. It wasn't the time to crush olives, but on that night, it was a crushing place nonetheless. And it was on that night that Jesus began to feel the reality of what was about to happen to him. I use two words there that I want you to pay attention to. Began and feel. First of all, I say Jesus began to feel what was about to happen to him because this passage is such an emotive passage. I've, I've lived with this passage for two or three weeks now, and it's, it's, so, it's so basic, it's so raw, it's so... It's so primal in so many ways. It's actually an exhausting passage to live with because Jesus is right on the very edge here. If anyone ever questions the humanity of Jesus, this is the passage to take them to. His emotions are so real. They are so raw. Mark doesn't pull any punches in telling us this because he uses three different words for the way that Jesus feels at this very, very moment. In English, we struggle to find different words or even to express the depths of the, word, the words that, that Mark uses. On one level, the, the verse simply reads, Jesus began to be distressed. He was distressed and told the disciples, I am distressed. But that doesn't even begin to go anywhere near what Christ is experiencing in this place called Gethsemane. The first word that Mark uses is a word of, of surprise or of shock or of alarm, that the image is that of a panic attack, the shortness of breath, the, the, the rapid heartbeat, the whole sense of being completely overwhelmed and just wanting either to scream or to run away or to, or to curl up into a ball. The panic's not due to anything that's happened, but it's a panic of anticipation. When in that moment it occurs to Jesus what is about to happen to him. Panic sets in. The second word that, that Mark uses is a word for extreme distress. Panic has set in and there is no way out. Panic and terror. And the third word that Mark uses is a word that he has used before. If you remember back to Mark chapter 6, um, when Herod promised to give Salome whatever she wanted, if only she would dance for him. When she, 
in turn asked for John's head on a platter. Herod's emotive response is this very word. He is filled with shock. He is filled with absolute horror. It's also the same word that's used in the Greek version of the Old Testament, talking about Cain's state of mind before he kills his brother Abel. It's a very extreme word for for emotional distress. Jesus is completely overwhelmed. And Mark makes it even stronger because he says that Jesus is completely overwhelmed unto death. He is crushed to the absolute limits here. Everything is being squeezed out of him. Oh, the physical torment on the cross must have been excruciating. But the mental, emotional, and psychological anguish was right here, was right here on this night in Gethsemane, in the crushing place. He was crushed. Have no doubt about it. I not only used the word feel, but I also used the word began for two reasons. Well, first of all, because Mark uses that word himself. It was in Gethsemane that Jesus began to feel this way, but also because the first word that Mark uses for distress also has the sense of surprise. This began at that moment, and it completely took Jesus by surprise. The depths of the suffering that he was about to endure overwhelmed him completely, and it completely took him aback. See, over the last few weeks, we've heard Jesus talk to his disciples a number of times about him him being handed over to, to sinful men. He spoke about his death. He mentioned his resurrection. But there's no sense of emotion in many of these references. He spoke about it almost in a detached way, very, very matter-of-fact. Now, he knew what was about to happen, but he couldn't let himself dwell on the reality of the situation that lay ahead for him because it would have been unbearable even to contemplate. But here in Gethsemane, in the crushing place, he faces the reality of the cross, and in that moment, it is more than he can bear. Oh, yes, he's God. But don't forget, he's a young man. He's 33 years old. And here he is about to endure the most horrific death imaginable. And he's about to endure it alone. Because the cross is imminent. He can begin now to contemplate it in real terms. And it fills him with shock, with panic, and with horror. And he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to go through with it. There's one other significant thing I want to mention tonight. This is the only place in the four Gospels where the word Abba is used. Jesus was calling out to his Father. It's the cry of a child, a child who's lost. Daddy, help me! I remember when Gregor was small, he used to have night terrors. Oh, it was terrible. 
He would scream and he would scream uncontrollably. He would call for Maureen. Mommy, mommy. He would call, Daddy, Daddy. We'd go to him. We'd hold him. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't really wake up. That terror, that night terror, had, for whatever reason, to be endured. And on this night, in this place in Gethsemane, this is not a dream. There's no waking up from this. It's a real terror that has to be faced. He can't wake up. The cup has to be drunk down to its bitter dregs. And this is but the beginning. And yet, in the midst of all of this, this young man, this son of God, he steals himself. And despite his terror, he says, enough. He's not talking to his disciples. He's talking to himself. It's time. I've got to do this. And of his own volition, he walks into the embrace of the one who will betray him. And from there to the cross. Remember, all through this, he's alone. The disciples that he's he's brought to be with him. They can't even stay awake. And you remember they all run away. There's no one left. Those he is about to die for leave him absolutely alone, and still he receives the kiss from the betrayer. By rights, he should have turned and walked away. These sorry followers don't deserve what he's about to do. Up until now, their, their lack of resolve and their the lack of understanding, it's almost been like comic relief throughout the gospel in the midst of some very serious discussions. But now, on this night, in this place, the comedy turns to tragedy. For not only do they misunderstand, but they turn and they flee. And still, he says, it's enough. It's time. Let's do this. And so for those disciples, and no less for us, after enduring the anguish of the crushing place, he went on to the cross alone and of his own volition. Listen to these words of, uh, from, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He writes, It's infinitely easier to suffer in obedience to a human command than to accept suffering as free, responsible men. It's, in, it's infinitely easier to suffer with others than to suffer alone. It is infinitely easier to suffer as public heroes than to suffer apart and in ignominy. It's easier to suffer physical death than to endure spiritual suffering. Bonhoeffer continues, Christ suffered as a free man, alone, apart, and in ignominy, in body and in spirit. Friends, this He did for you. And it all began in this place, Gethsemane, the crushing place. So how do we respond? 
what, where do we go from here? Do we turn and run away? Turn our backs on the one who is about to go through even more suffering and anguish? Or do we see his resolve and follow him through these mockeries of trials and kneel and weep at the foot of the cross and wait and watch and wonder and weep not with tears of sorrow but with tears of joy on Easter Sunday morning when we celebrate his rising from the dead. What will you do? Where will you go from this crushing place? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Tonight is not a pleasant night. Gethsemane is not a pleasant place. And yet it is the place where this all begins. Give to us the courage and give to us the grace not to run away, but to turn with absolute resolve in the power of your Holy Spirit to walk with you, to kneel at the foot of the cross, and to know you in your risen power in our life, even today. Thank you, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.